one of uh, my responsibilities and things that I grew to like to talk about was reminding people that you can awaken your spiritual gifts without the aid of plant medicines. And I didn't know if they would ever call to me. So when they did start to call to me, I actually had to do uh, a little bit of deep work because in that moment of hearing the call, I realized how much I had um, grown to like and get attached to the identity of being a shaman who had never done plant medicine, you know, because, you know, there, there is a huge misconception that they always equate and always go together, um, you know, which is, is just not always the case. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Field Tripping. Remember to please rate, review, and follow our podcast. Today, we have a really exciting guest with us, Allison Charles. I have so much on my mind that I can't wait to speak with her about, but before we get to do that, let's hit up some news to trip over. Today, we only have one thing that we're talking about, and I have a lot to say uh, on it from the news to trip over perspective, uh, and it goes a little like this. A recent op-ed written by Rick Doblin and Jennifer Altman and published in the LA Times asked the question as to whether doctors are prepared for the coming psychedelic wave in medicine. The piece concluded, not surprisingly, they are not, and this is something I generally concur with. We are seeing these days the rise of more and more doctors writing articles and voicing concerns about psychedelic medicine. In fact, just the other day, a Twitter follower of mine pointed to an article written on the site Mad in America, which already creates questions in my mind about the legitimacy of their outlet, but no less, written by Joanna Moncrief, MD, asking, are psychedelics anything more than a powerful form of snake oil or a recreational experience? Do they have any objective health benefits? Can we be confident they are safe? Then she added that the proposed explanation for the efficacy of psychedelics is, quote, confusing and contradictory, noting, on the one hand, psychedelics are promoted as assisting the process of psychotherapy through the insights that the trip or drug-induced experience can generate, on the other, they are claimed to represent a targeted medical treatment for various disorders through correcting underlying, underlying brain deficiencies. Moncrief then goes on to conclude, as with so many other medical treatments, they have become popular through the potent mixture of financial interests and desperation. If the occasional benefit of psychedelics is to promote personal development through an unusual experience, then there are many safer routes to this goal. Personally, I would argue that it seems that Dr. Moncrief's financial interests and desire to protect her current practice is at the heart of her argument. For example, at least until present, the rise of psychedelics had actually had very little to do with financial interests. I'm sure if you ask Rick Doblin whether he's gotten rich off his work at MAPS, you could ask and answer with a certain no. In fact, most research and progress to date has been advanced by nonprofit organizations. And I would ask, what is the purpose of psychiatry at its core other than to promote personal development? Really, what is the point of life other than to per promote personal development? In any event, we are going to see more of this, and I just ask everyone to remember the words of Albert Einstein. Great spirits have always encountered violent opposition from mediocre minds. 
The mediocre mind is incapable of understanding the man who refuses to bow blindly to conventional prejudices and chooses instead to express his opinions courageously and honestly. That's not to say you should live at the master of your own prejudices, but they may they be in favor of psychedelics, but simply to say that people are threatened by what they do not understand and cannot control. So keep that in mind when you encounter opposition. And now on to our conversation. I'm here with Allison Charles. Allison is an internationally renowned shaman, best-selling author, and host of the Ceremony Circle podcast. She has devoted her life to preserving ancient wisdom by bringing sacred rituals and shamanic teachings to the mainstream in unique ways. Allison is an animal medium, and her new book, Animal Power, highlights our spiritual interconnectivity to animals and how to tap into that. Allison? Thank you so much for joining us on Field Tripping today. Wow, what a medicinal voyage you took me on in that uh, news bit. That was really powerful. I, I was uh, riding a lot of waves in there. That was that was really nice. Thanks for having me. Oh, thank you for being here. I would love to know your thoughts actually about this. I mean, at the core of it, I think what we're talking about is people being threatened by new systems or things they don't understand. And I am quite certain that most of the modern Western medical system and community is probably threatened or more accurately probably scoffs at a lot of the work and what a lot of the work you do and, and what you talk about. And I imagine you've probably encountered a lot of feedback like that. So I'm wondering how it resonated with you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's very interesting. That's so honestly, I feel like this particular river and portal is one of the most nuanced um, possible on the entire planet. And so there's so many areas that you can enter into when having this precise topic of discussion. I mean, the thing that comes up the most for me presently is I'm just so deeply connected and interwoven with the sacredness aspect. And so what arises when I hear about um, various doctors more trained or studied in, in Western modality, modalities and traditions, um, perhaps leaning over into um, the psychedelic space, I just um, get a bit concerned in terms of the types of training that they will immerse in and um, if they are a doctor, and there are certainly Western doctors out there who, you know, practice shamanism and understand um, the life-changing power of soul-level work and infinite exploration of who we are in our inner terrains. I'm not saying that they don't exist, but um, for the ones who have not entered into that territory and, and don't have a spiritual practice, um, my concern in their teaching of these most ancient ways is that it may lack a sacred foundation. And that's just always where I get real, um, real nervous because I think that that's just of paramount importance. And I think especially over here in the U.S., we have just gotten so far away from learning and knowing how it is to just simply honor great mother earth, the planet that we live on, how to honor animals, how to commune and speak to various plants and spirits and flower essences or whatever it is, just nature in general. Um, 
if if that just 101 practice hasn't already been established in terms of learning how to give offerings or prayers or rituals um, to give thanks to to nature and our planet in general, uh, I think that the process needs to start there before leaning into um, holding space for and facilitating someone's healing through um, mushrooms or kana or, or whatever the case may be. So uh, long story short, sacredness and really honoring where these medicines come from, the historical context and traditions, um, that that's just very important for any doctor wanting to enter into that space. Uh, I totally <laughs> hear that. Um, the purpose of this podcast ultimately is to try to find a way to destigmatize, demystify, and open people's minds to psychedelics and psychedelic therapies. And that doesn't necessarily mean drugs. I think, you know, in, in reading up in preparation for um, this conversation, I think you probably share the view that a psychedelic experience can happen very much without drugs and it's something we can talk about, uh, I'm sure, at length. Uh, but for a lot of people, a lot of people in North America and the West, Things like sacredness and Mother Earth and prayer and all that kind of stuff is going to immediately turn them off, right? Right or wrong, that's what's going to happen. And and so the whole purpose of this conversation, at least for me in the podcast, is to try and find a way to extend a, an olive branch between the the rational modern Western and the more traditional uh, and see if there's kind of a, a common ground that we can find so we can actually have conversations with each other. Otherwise, we end up talking and, and passing uh, quite a bit. So I have a lot of questions in there. Um, but my first question is, what does it mean to be a shaman to you? What exactly is it? It feels like it's a word that gets thrown around left, right, and center, particularly in the conversation of psychedelics. And secondly, you know, um, I think a lot of people don't start off as shamans. So I think most people evolve into a shamanic practice um, or a spiritual practice. They don't necessarily start there. Uh, so I'd love to hear your story, how, you know, you went, where you started and how this became your calling and your path. Oh boy, you're starting with the two two of the biggest uh, questions here. I don't mess around. Yeah, so the way, yeah, no, it's great. I love it. Um, the way I like to begin the conversation around shamanism and what is a shaman is just by letting people know that there are no two shamans alike on planet Earth. That every single one of us that incarnates with this soul level calling and Earth-based mission inside of us, we all have our own unique divine blueprint and encoding with the specific way in which our individual shamanic medicine is meant to transmit out into the world to hopefully be of great service and to spread higher consciousness energies and unconditional love energies and unity energies out into the world. All that being said, you know, if you line up 100 shamans and, and we're all different, one thing that we do have in common is that we have been blessed uh, with the spiritual ability to have a foot equal parts in both worlds, both the seen walking earth plane, earth world, and also the unseen realms, the cosmic, um, the cosmic planes. And so in bridging and connecting to those places uh, equally, I fully surrender into and devote to them as well. And so for me, my shamanic medicine and path is a lot about making sure that I'm getting out of my own way, 
that I'm doing my best to stay as consciously aware and awake as possible and to be soul and heart-centered rather than of ego or human mind. Because I realize at a very ancient, deep level that it's, you know, my greatest honor to have been blessed with the shamanic calling. And so I truly do live by the calls, messages, medicine, guidance, instructions that I'm given from great spirit, from great mother earth, and from the ancient wisdom inside of me. And oftentimes, you know, uh, I mean, sometimes my human desires line up with those instructions given by great spirit. And, but oftentimes they don't, but you have to do a lot of work around to get to a place where you're really centered in peace and clarity and embodiment um, to heed said instructions. And, you know, the medicine name that I was given um, is is different than other shamanic friends that I have, like, say, Eagle Woman. Um, you know, she is another female shaman who was instructed to use the title shaman. And her medicine name was given to her um, differently than mine was. But my name, Rock Star Shaman, came in not too long after my divine intervention and spiritual awakening. And it was a download and instruction that I did not take lightly. And I honestly resisted because I could feel the gravity and magnitude and boldness of it. And I was also being shown very clearly that my shamanic teachings and presence was to be very public and express itself through mainstream and media. And so with all of that uh, coming into my field of awareness at once, I uh, went on a lot of shamanic journeys and called forward my main guide this lifetime, who is Ascended Master Jesus, and really did a lot of integrity checks and communing with other guides, asking, you know, is this title of ego um, or is this of divinity and is this my mission? But I... I don't call myself a shaman because it's something that I quote unquote want to do. I do it because it's a clear instruction that will not go away. And trust me, throughout, you know, my over a decade of walking the shamanic path at this point, I have checked in regularly, like, can this go away at this point? Can I just be Allison or just be author or just be spiritual teacher? And um, the clear instruction to continue using the name, which I should say rock star shaman represents how my path works, which I explain connecting into great mother earth, the rock part and directly up to source great spirit, the star part. And then the shaman part is, uh, you know, me being in my heart and, and soul. So that's uh, the medicinal portion of the name. And I know I didn't get to the story of how I came to this work yet, but I'll pause to see if anything com- came up for you. Uh yeah, the, the I think the clearest question that came up for me is um, again, it's just trying for me trying to make sense of uh, a world that's very fluid and undefined coming from a world that's very concrete and, and well defined. Um, and and so I, I in my journey, I'm always trying to like make sense of that and, and reconcile that. So you said uh, the 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 title of the calling of shaman um, is different than spiritual teacher. And can you help me understand mm-hmm. the difference? Well, I think spiritual teacher can really encompass and and hold within it, you know, a million different types, you know, whether you're a Reiki healer or a mystic or a sage or a, a high priestess 
or a teacher of the tantric arts or a yoga master. Uh, I think that um, any of those plus infinite numbers of others uh, of, of spiritual modalities who involve any sort of instruction or guidance or education within their work, though all of that falls underneath that spiritual teacher uh, title. But for me, it was so clear once I had my divine intervention and awakening, uh, the way in which I initially just surrendered into wanting to be shown the way for my own healing. Because when I woke up through a very traumatic moment, I realized I was not at all the person who I thought I was. And I was not the well person that I thought I was my entire life. You know, I'm coming from a background of being the two-time national champion distance runner, a division one college coach, um, hosting a, a national wellness-based daytime television talk show. I mean, writing for various global wellness platforms. This is pre-awakening. So I'm thinking that I'm a very connected being. And when that veil lifted the day of my divine intervention, it um, was equal parts anguishing and terrifying and miraculous and enlightening. And so I really just set out on a quest to become well and devote to my own healing. And in that devoted quest of letting source spirit, my guides in the other realms, show me where to go for said healing, it was in that journey and process that the shamanic, specific shamanic calling that was encoded in me always had finally room, space, um, proper energetic activation to wake up and begin to communicate to me the truth of who I really am. And it's, it's a little hard to put into words um, other than to know if you have a shamanic calling, you just know it. It has such a specific texture and taste and feeling and essence. And there's just such... I mean, some people consider shamanism to be the world's most ancient healing art. I consider it to definitely be one of. And so if you have that calling inside of you, and if you've done this work in other lifetimes, there's just the deepest, most innate knowingness um, of who you are. I've guided thousands and thousands of people on guided shamanic journeys. Um, I was on the shamanic path for uh, many, many years before any spirits of any plants, plant medicine, psychedelics entered into my experience. And so the shamanic way that I know and the way I opened up and acted, activated my gifts was strictly through my connection to Great Mother Earth and to the unseen realms, um, you know, my my guides there and and Great Spirit. And so I helped to unlock that same wisdom and those same understandings and people in the same way, just through, through simply using my shamanic drum or my shamanic rattle and creating a very safe space um, for them to lay down, begin to connect with their breath and their heart, um, to start to connect to presence and let go and to learn what it feels like to release into that surrendered space where you're finally letting yourself be held and not like muscling or trying to think your way through everything. And once you're in that more um, surrendered state, through my drum and rattle, I guide people into these different realms for them to gain clarity, for them to have soul retrieval, for them to call forward power animals that want to communicate um, things to them. And once you experience something like that, the medicine of that 
type of journey is with you forevermore. And it will show up in different um, dosages. It will um, communicate to you in different ways, depending upon where your soul readiness is at. But if you're someone, uh, I meet a lot of people who are going for on the first time on a shamanic journey, and I'm the first shaman they've ever met. And they will have an experience where an animal will come forward to them and and they will experience the jungle or the other realm that I've taken them to. Um, but if there's still a little bit of nervousness or their human mind questioning, did I make all of that up or did I imagine all of that? It may be weeks or months or even years before the next dose of what they received in that shamanic journey actually um, shows up for them within their soul. It might come in a form of a massive light bulb moment or life-changing realization or a sudden attunement to like a knowingness of what their dharma truly is and how they've been blocking themselves and getting in their own way. I mean, it it can mean a, a ton of different things, but um, that's a little bit more about how um, specifically shamanism uh, works for me. Cool. Um, who was Alison Charles before this great awakening? And, um, can you take us through the, the awakening? You know, what, what triggered it? How did you become aware of it? Uh, you know, were, were you open to the spiritual side of things beforehand or was it kind of like a light bulb going off and a a pretty hard switch that happened? Yeah, it was, it was a little bit of both. So the Alison pre-awakening, um, oh, even as I just tuned in to little Allison, I just got a pretty big wave blast of an emotion. You know, oh, I still feel it actually. Oh, goodness. Yeah, you know, she, little, little shaman Allison <laughs> was, is just such a pure hearted, kind, effervescent, enthusiastic for another go at earth life a little girl. Um, And, you know, what started to happen at a very young age was my, and I will say before I go into this story that I love my dad. I wouldn't change anything about my journey and my story. Um, We have a great relationship. All is well. Um, All that being said, you know, when I was a little girl, my dad um, got on a quest to be my distance running coach. And so before the age of three, um, I was in my first running road race. And so that kind of um, competitive energy and um, learning at a very, very early age that my worth was, um, you know, dependent upon how I competed or if I was a winner or not that started to create a lot of big constructs and how I could relate to myself and life and my gifts and my dad. So in a nutshell, I learned very young that I wouldn't be able to simultaneously keep my shamanic truths, spiritual awarenesses, because one of my strongest gifts is my seership. I have an incredibly strong which at times creates some challenges, an incredibly strong ability to see people's blind spots, shadows, limiting beliefs, um, things about themselves that they uh, are too frightened to look at. I see it all. And so 
I couldn't keep the seer gifts and the shamanic truths alive while also maintaining a relationship with my dad, who was also my coach. It would have, those two systems would have collided and one needed to go. So I decided at a young age to suppress my spiritual truths. But in hindsight, what I can tell that I did do to preserve even just the smallest sliver of my soul's um, uh, greatest passions in the world of metaphysics and, and mysticism and shamanism was that I just would always gravitate to those subject matters. So again, even as a young girl, I was never one that read comic books or romance novels or uh, you know, um, fiction, it was always in the categories of self-help and the healing power of colors and how to read poems and how to learn uh, numerology. So it was just like my soul trying its hardest to keep something of that activated in me while, uh, you know, all those other systems that were being built in me were absolutely taking over and compounding. So I will fast forward to saying that, um, you know, that athletic upbringing was incredibly intense. It was so pressure filled. Um, you know, I did become, you know, the best in the country on more than one occasion. Uh, but my body started to break down after being a college athlete at the University of Alabama. And that's where I started to have a very mild awakening was when my body started to crumble. And this only previous identity that I had had is this runner, this great runner girl was starting to crumble with it. And I thought, oh my God, like, if my body can't run anymore and I'm not this runner chick anymore, then who am I? And so I started to allow myself to get pulled into these other areas in life that felt more aligned. And it was media. Um, universe put me into connection. Um, I was a head personal trainer at a gym after college. And one of my clients walked in one day and said, you should be my radio show co-host. And that felt like truth to me. That that resonated. And when I sat in the radio studio, I felt like home. And I had sensed from the time I was a little girl that I would be involved in media. I just assumed I would be a sports broadcaster. But um, I did AM talk for a number of years and I was actually a hip hop um, radio morning show host in my uh, mid-20s. But the next phase in this journey of arriving back home to who I truly am entered in when I wanted to leave radio, switch to television. And at this point, I got back into touch with a previous boyfriend who I had met in college. And he and I went on an over 16-year karmic journey um, of, of being in relationship with one another. And that ended up being... Uh, what led to my awakening because that relationship was filled with a lot of dysfunction, at times varying um, degrees of abuse and um, a lot of toxicity and a lot of suffering. And why that happened was because you had two people living in denial, uh, two people not facing their wounds, their traumas, their shadows, their blind spots. Uh, I was in codependency. He was struggling with a lot of different addictions. And so I think you get the picture that those two systems and those two types of dynamics in one relationship creates ultimately a cycle of insanity. 
And so for me, I did not enter lightly into the spiritual path, um, the hero's journey at all. And uh, it required one day, um, and there is a story with it, if I'm I'm happy to share if you want me to, but um, okay, so... So my ex and I were on round number, who knows, 10 at this point of trying to make things work. The engagement had been called off. I had moved to Brooklyn on my own. And, um, and that was devastating. Making that move and, and calling off the engagement, it was, it was not a pretty time. It was very dark. Um, very suffrage filled. And, uh, but yet I tried my best to move forward and to create a new life. And a number of months later, he came back around and it sounded and felt like he was having some real come to Jesus moments because things he was saying to me at that point were so far unlike anything I'd ever heard him say in the previous, you know, 16 years. So I didn't jump back into things, um, but I thought, wow, could we finally be getting on track after nearly two decades? So this particular day, he was at my place in Brooklyn and we were going to uh, venture out publicly as a couple yet again for the first time this round. And I went out to tell him just a couple more moments and I would be ready. And he was asleep on the couch. So I didn't want to wake him up. And as I walked back through my kitchen and through my bedroom, my clairaudient gift got turned on my ability to hear spirit or to hear guides in the unseen realms communicate with me. And a voice clear as day in my right ear told, told me to stop and turn around. And I did stop and I did turn around and my eyes directly landed on his cell phone, which was on my bookcase in my bedroom. And I do recall, you know, especially in hindsight, when I track back to that moment in that day, I do recall the energy very much shifting in the room. And, um, I know it now to have been, you know, archangels and different guides coming in to hold that space for me for what was about to happen. And as I walked over to the phone, that same voice told me to brace myself because what I was about to see was going to rock my world. And so um, I did not know the code to his phone. Um, I was living in a lot of unconscious fear of what was really going on for the duration of the relationship. So I was definitely not a snooper because if I was, I was going to see some very scary truths and like automatic spirit writing. Um, my finger popped in four numbers to his phone and his phone opened. I don't to this day remember what those numbers were. And this was the moment um, I liken it to my first shamanic cave initiatory moment. And that phone really represented that cave. And I love to use that Joseph Campbell quote, the cave you fear to enter holds the treasure you seek. And it was simultaneously both of those things for me, because when that phone opened, where I was guided to and what I started to see um, was me facing my biggest fears. And for me, this lifetime betrayal um, and, you know, being cheated on in, in very horrific ways was my biggest fear. And I was just being confronted with the most horrendous graphic proof of all of that happening in tons of different ways. And while I stayed silent, the energy was powerful enough that it woke him up. And it was at that point that he came into the room and I was able to stay calm somehow through that spiritual support. 
Um, you know, but I was devastated and of course wanting to know why and how and you know, I really did believe we had been best friends for almost two decades. So my brain just couldn't wrap itself around how it was possible that another person could treat someone in this way that they had known for so long. And um, I asked him to leave and I and I told him to never contact me again. And he could not give me an answer. And, and looking back, it's because, you know, he was in a lot of um, pain around addictions, which obviously creates a lot of fog and confusion. Um, and he was in denial about all of that, the sex addiction piece being um, a big one. And so what happened next, um, I mean, there were some more detailed steps next. Uh, one, going to a doctor to get myself checked because I was terrified um, that my health was at risk. And thankfully, um, I somehow remained well and healthy. And the next step was getting a ticket to go back to Indiana um, in a small town to where I'm from to stay at my grandma's house and to just start to um, understand what was going on. And it was during that time that additional spiritual gifts of mine got turned on and great spirit over the next week, like a movie, replayed my entire life up until that day. Well, not my entire life, but took me back to a lot of different memories that I didn't even recall having and was showing me those experiences, not from the veil of illusion and denial that I had experienced them in at that time, but showing me them in light and in truth. And so imagine, you know, you're seeing yourself um, in all the ways that, uh, you dishonored yourself. That was a big one for me, uh, was realizing that I allowed my physical body and my being to be dishonored. Um, you know, pretty much every time we were intimate for almost 20 years and the question of how did you get there and, and how is that possible and why, um, was just one of the many personal, um, uh, awakenings and, and pieces of responsibility that I needed to start taking. And from seeing various truths like that, that's when I decided my life was finally, finally deciding that I was done suffering and that I was willing and ready to accept the help and empowerment from the unseen realms. And that's the place that I have lived from ever since that day. Thank you for sharing that story. Um, it's quite powerful, uh, certainly quite traumatic, um, but also very enlightening, um, certainly for you. When you ask the questions, how or, and why did you put up with that for so long? What, what were the answers? Because I feel like there's a lot of people uh, in similar situations that maybe don't have such a profound kind of obvious aha moment of like, oh my God. Uh, this has to end and this has to end now, um, but are trapped in dynamics of toxicity and, and codependency, but aren't necessarily willing or able um, to see the patterns at play. So curious to know what, what mm -hmm. the how and why answers were for you uh, and why you put up with it for so long. Yeah, it's a really um, rich and beautiful question. Uh, the first layer that entered in when you were asking that was, yeah, me really being able to track back to that childhood story that I just touched on of me being this elite athlete as a child and, and my dad being my coach. So the dynamic that got created there was, um, I didn't really have a say 
and my physical body and my physical vessel and what it wanted to do. And I was allowing someone other than me to command and dictate and to tell my body what to do for their own personal gain. And again, I love my dad. He is a really good human and he has an incredibly beautiful heart. He's just someone like many, many billions, millions or billions of people walking this planet who don't do much inner work and don't tend to their own inner healing and don't face their own shadows. And when you operate from that place, it creates a lot of unintended distortion and dysfunction and pain and wounding. And that's how these cycles get passed on and passed on. And so, you know, I think that due to his own inner pains and insecurities, he was looking to what I and my physical body could do to fuel and make him feel good and feel better inside. And so what happened was that that pattern got established from two and a half years old through the time that I became a, a college athlete. And trust me, he had tried to get a college coaching job at my, at my college too. Um, it worked from you know elementary to middle school to high school. And he tried to get on staff at college. It just didn't quite... Um, work out. But um, so that pattern was very much established. And so it was a bit of um, the kind of the best way I can describe it is almost like an addiction transfer, that cellular system and knowingness that I had in my body to, um, you know, to dishonor my own self and to let somebody else tell me what to do with my body for their own gain transferred over to my ex-fiance and his woundings and his pain that he was not willing to face um, with this, you know, specifically with the sex addiction piece. And so, you know, that was one of the biggest puzzle pieces um, that came into play that allowed me to go back to that origin point, to get to the root of the root of the root of where that pattern began. And it's when you do that work, obviously, that, you know, because with that, with that clarity provides peace and with that clarity provides liberation. Well, thank you for sharing that story. It, it's a really powerful story and I think it's one that needs to be told. And what comes up for me um, is that we started this conversation about shamanism and, and, and the sacred and, and the unseen and concepts that a lot of people are probably still uncomfortable with. Um, but the analysis uh, and not trying to make it too rational, but like the having to reflect on the dynamic between you and your father and seeing that and how that's been carried through, whether it happened at a cellular cellular level or just on a conscious level, you know, I think it's a really important thing that people need to hear that it's like, yeah, we, we all do things. We don't necessarily, you know, don't, that don't, don't honor um, who we are necessarily. Uh, and, there's always power in, in reflection, whether you accept it as, as a sacred gift or it's just, you know, purely psychotherapy mumbo jumbo. It doesn't really matter. It's, it's a super powerful thing. And I, I have a feeling that um, there are probably a lot of women in particular, but not limited to, um, who, who listen to this podcast and, and beyond who probably can find similar thematics in, in their own lives. And so thank you for sharing that because I'm sure it will help open the eyes of, of some people um, to what drives them. 
Yeah. And the only little thread that I'll toss in there with a couple of things that pinged in was uh, one, know that in my healing of, um, you know, learning what it meant to honor myself, mind, body, spirit, soul, but especially the body uh, took shape and form in a lot of different ways, a lot of womb clearing and healing, going to tons of different healers. Um, But I did really get guided into having a very long-term period of celibacy. I was celibate for nearly five years straight, which, um, you know, has, it's, someone had told me that when I was younger, that at some point, you know, in your adulthood, you're going to go five years of total celibacy. I was just, I would, you know, be a little surprised or, uh, you know, have maybe have a hard time believing that. But um, because I had really devoted to learning that honoring piece, it really got to a point within my own being and body that when I would meet someone, um, that I thought could perhaps be a partner or go on a date with or perhaps become physically intimate with, unless I could tell that they had the ability to fully, truly see me as a soul, as a goddess, as a woman, um, you know, to truly see me beyond the physical vessel, it became impossible for me to allow my body to engage physically with them. And um, so that went on year after year after year after year. And uh, I'm I'm finally aligned in a really healthy, powerful, um, sacred relationship now. But that was one thing I wanted to toss in was just um, a little, some of the passageways that I went on to arrive to a place of self-respect and honor and love. And then the other piece was just around that idea of like, really finally letting ourselves look into some of our patterns and behaviors that maybe previously we've been too scared to out of um you know shame or embarrassment because shadow work and blind spot work it's it's definitely not easy and it's not for the faint of heart because you're finally examining um some ways that you have of functioning in the world that are not operating in the highest and that are not operating from a place of true consciousness or or love and um, it can be very threatening to our ego. Uh, you know, I think we're conditioned a lot over here that, you know, th- those aspects make us bad people or whatever, but every single human being walking this planet has shadow and light. And I think now more than ever, we have this massive responsibility Um, We are all being called to really, really take time to clean up our side of the street and to really devote to doing blind spot work and shadow work. Um, And I I guess I'll I'll leave it at that. But that has been an instruction coming in so loud and clear from source to me the last couple of months is for me to just exclaim that message as as far and wide as I can is, is please tend to your side of the street. If you want to be of greatest service for the world and all living beings at this time, you know, face yourself and, and do some shadow work. Totally. And and thank you for sharing the comment about celibacy. Um, 
uh, again, not specific to women, but probably disproportionately a female experience is like those weird dynamics around sex and like the consequences of all these relationships and and the effects of thousands of years of chauvinism and turning men into performance objects and women as sex objects. It's it's inevitable that these consequences are going to come up and for someone to be own it and be like, yep, you know, I went through this shit. Uh, and the consequence of this was actually like pursuing, I don't know if pursuing is the right word, but celibacy for five years to give me the freedom to reorient around all of these paradigms that we live in. It's like, that's pretty awesome. That's a really powerful message that I think a lot of people need to hear and be like, eh, that's okay. It's like, if you have, I'll say dysfunction, because that's the word that's coming to mind, even though it's not really what I mean, uh, around sex, it's like, that's okay. It's like there's there's lots of reasons for that and, and start to be okay with that. And then you can start to underpa- uh, unpack maybe some of the underlying causes, which usually, I mean, there's an aspect of the physical, but usually it's it's an emotional, spiritual kind of issue. So thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Um, this is a conversation. Uh, this is a podcast about psychedelics. So I'd be remiss if we didn't touch on psychedelics, but there's a lot of other things I want to talk about, but I want to make sure we, we cross this bridge as well, um, which is a lot of your journey happened without plant-based medicine, even though shamanism and plant-based medicine tend to go fairly hand in hand. Um, wondering what your experience, well, I guess the first question is, um, when did when did plant-based medicine, when did psychedelics sort of enter into your path uh, and what what has it enabled what has it opened um, that maybe wasn't previous open pre- previously open before uh, adding mm-hmm. plant-based medicine yes okay I'm just closing my eyes to go back into those um, into those first moments yeah it, this piece for me on my shamanic path has been a very intriguing one because to be completely honest, uh, having been out with the work and out publicly as a shaman for a long time, and also being clear that one of uh, my responsibilities and things that I grew to like to talk about was reminding people that you can awaken your spiritual gifts without the aid of plant medicines. And I didn't know if they would ever call to me So when they did start to call to me, I actually had to do uh, a little bit of deep work because in that moment of hearing the call, I realized how much I had um, grown to like and get attached to the identity of being a shaman who had never done plant medicine, you know, because you know, there, there is a huge misconception that they always equate and always go together. Um, you know, which is, is just not always the case. And so I really had to, um, sit with the facilitator, uh, you know, um, grandmother medicine ayahuasca was the first plant spirit to make a loud and clear call to me, And um, so, yeah, I did sit with the facilitator and explained exactly what I just shared with all of you. And um, after chatting with her and then just sitting with myself and really communing with my own heart and soul to determine what felt um, like the, the best thing to do to say yes or no to sitting in the ceremony, I decided to lean in. Um, I could, I could very much tell that that was what I was to do. And, you know, so that was that. 
So let me, you know, go forward to another one before I start to share about some of the benefits. And so I really initially started uh, just working with uh, Hape and, and I only sat with Grandmother Medicine Ayahuasca um, that one time initially. And then there was a very long break. Um, and I'm, I'm just a huge advocate of what I feel to be proper integration and just really allowing, um, because like I shared, just even with a, a guided drumming shamanic journey, that kind of activation and transmissions, um, and medicine just from a drumming journey are with you forevermore. And if you continue to talk to what came in during that journey, it will continue to inform you and, and activate new, new aspects of you. So I really sat um, with that first experience for a very long time. And then the next um, plant spirit that came in even louder and clearer. And um, I hate to label like, oh, this plant medicine is my my favorite or whatever, because that just sounds so not sacred and weird. But the plant medicine that thus far um, seems to resonate with me on the most ancient, deepest level is peyote. And that was the spirit that came in next. And I worked with that particular spirit for um, over the course of a few years, a number of times in in different um, locations and settings. And I really know that it was through working with that medicine that allowed my heart to get to those last layers of healing and opening that it needed to in order for me to be in my um, most embodied sovereign state, which in my opinion was the exact ingredient needed for me to get into an alignment with my now partner Luke's story. And there's a whole wild uh, story about, it's hard to not tell, but it is a little bit excuse me, lengthy, but the medicine ultimately, um, cause he and I were friends for a long time and, um, but we lived, I lived in New York city. He lived in LA fast forward many years down the road of he and I being friends. Um, he had finally communicated to me, uh, on one of my trips to LA that, um, he had always been interested in me and that it, the next time I came to LA, he would like to take me on a proper date. And, um, you know, this was a big moment because I, I really did not see that coming and I did not have that awareness that he had always had that interest. And we ran in similar friend groups and circles and had been friends for so long. So I was a little uh, out of sorts and, and caught off guard, but there was something deep um, telling me to lean in, even though I was a bit scared to. So then um, fast forward to our first date, which was on New Year's Eve and my birthday is New Year's Day. So again, big decision, you know, when I got invited by him to, of course, we went to like a Kundalini gathering, um, par for the course. But uh, when I got that invitation, I thought, oh my gosh, you know, it's technically my birthday and it's New Year's Eve. It's a big decision, but I felt the deep call to say yes. And while we were at that Kundalini gathering that evening, bringing in the new year and my birthday, while we sat together in conversation, he said, hey, you know what? I'm going to start to work with your medicine soon. And he only referenced it as my medicine because he knew that it was a very, peyote was a very reverent one for me. And my first question was, well, who are you sitting with? Because, you know, 
it, that is very, very important is who is the facilitator and who is going to be guiding and holding space for a, a ceremony of that magnitude. And it revealed clearly that he was sitting with the same teachers and facilitators that I had sat with for many years, and he had no idea. And so you can start to see the divine orchestration here of peyote, of great spirit, um, and of it becoming time for our sacred union to click into place. And fast forwarding again, that ceremony was coming up quickly. After our date, I flew back to New York City. I asked him, when is that ceremony? Just so I could hold energetic space for him. And he said, why? Do you want to come? And I thought, oh my God, I kind of, maybe I do. Do I feel the call? So I sat with that, felt the call, bought another ticket, flew back across the country just days later. And there we were on our second or third date going out into the desert to sit in a sacred teepee ceremony with peyote. And it was in that weekend that um, not only did we become a couple, but we unexpectedly became spiritually married. And um, I don't know, one of my favorite parts about the story is that like, we definitely had not slept together, you know, not even close to that. And we hadn't even like, uh, you know, really decided to be a, a couple before, you know, the next thing you know, we're, we're in this sacred medicine ceremony and a flower blessing, um, being spiritually married by the facilitators. So um, the last little thread that I'll weave in is Kayumari is the sacred blue deer, which is the totem for peyote and power animal deer is one of the main guides who came in right after my divine intervention all those years ago. And the deer is the medicine of the heart and the path of the heart. So deer has worked with me for over a decade and trying to heal my heart and keep it open so that I could align in a healthy union at some point. So the fact that, you know, large in part, it was up to this beautiful sacred blue deer um, to bring Luke and I together um, in this kind of like really profound way. It's it's a pretty, pretty fun story to be able to tell. Oh, that's awesome. Luke was actually scheduled to be the first ever participant on this podcast. Um, and then I totally chickened out because I had no idea how to start a podcast or what the F to talk about. And, and so I canceled it last minute. Um, but I think we're at a point where I'm going to invite him back because I'd love to actually have that conversation and, and use it as an extension from this conversation. Um, two things. One is you touched on... Um, you know, blue deer, uh, which leads into a conversations about animal power uh, and and spirit animals, uh, which I'd like to talk about because your forthcoming book is all about that. And I'd love to dive into that. But before we get there, you touched on the importance of having the right facilitator uh, for a plant medicine journey. What advice would you give to someone about how to assess whether someone's the right person or or not? God, yeah, that is honestly the trillion dollar question. And I really do think it's the most important one. I mean, okay, I'm going to tune in to see what information wants to come in. For me, I've said this word a number of times already in our conversation, and I'll say it again now. I think what is most important with any shamanic practitioner, shaman is embodiment. And, you know, being a shaman certainly does not mean that we are perfect beings. I value and honor and love my humanness and my human side just as much as I value and honor my shaman side and the shaman within me. 
But what a shaman is supposed to be completely committed and devoted to is really facing all, every single thread and aspect of ourselves so that we can be in whole divine uh, union and integration with ourselves because it's only from that place that we can hold a proper, healthy, sacred container for others to face themselves and to grow. And that's the only way we can um, truly help amplify unconditional love and compassion and unity for the world. So it's not about being a unflawed being or being a perfect being, but the distortion and dysfunction that I see a lot that is very alarming and that one should always do their best to investigate with any facilitator is do they really walk the talk and and are they a person who because there are a lot of shamans and spiritually gifted people out there who have a very genuine clear line to a being that they communicate with or a clear clear line into source um and they may be truly the most gifted numerologists that you've ever met because they have a genuine clear line up that way but the more important question is have they tended to the earthly tasks and earthly responsibilities within themselves? And it goes back again to the other thing I was kind of preaching about of, of the shadow work and the blind spot work. Um, because you you definitely don't want to work with someone. And the term being bypassed or spiritually bypassed is one that I really don't even want to say because it's just like overused. And it's just, I think there's, I don't know. I, it's like, I hate to even use it, but it is kind of of that concept where, um, again, it's it's like a, a a disconnect. They have that upper line of connection, but that whole bottom part of themselves, their lower chakras, are doing um, you know that underworld work, that shadow work, is completely bypassed, not tended to, not faced. And trust me, the most dangerous setting that you can be in is sitting in a most potent, powerful, medicinal, ceremonial experience where gateways to other beings and realms are fully opened and the person that's to be holding the proper space hasn't even faced their own demons and gremlins themselves. And so I think um, really getting to know a facilitator, a shaman, the best that you can. And if you are someone who's been on the spiritual path for a very long time and you know that you trust yourself, you know that you have a very highly attuned discernment system within you, you can tell, you can feel, you can know. But the other thing is just because a friend has sat in a ceremony with a facilitator does not equate or mean that that facilitator is for you or that medicine is for you or that location is for you. It's just so important to take your time with these decisions and to really um, do your best to determine if that practitioner um, is healed and um, has devoted to their own healing and holding and is truly embodied and walks the talk. And I know that that's just one sliver to a million answers that you can give, um, but I, I hope it's a good start for people to be able to um, enter into a, a more reverent awareness of, am I really being called? Is this the right person for me? And um, just 
even if you feel like you've always wanted to experience a certain spirit, uh, plant spirit, and it's coming into town, like just never rush, never jump into it without really feeling in, talking to your lower belly, talking to your own heart and soul, and really tuning in. Go to that. If that practitioner has a website or a social media feed, of course, not all do, but if they do, you know, feel in. Feel into the vibration, feel into the energetics and, and just take your time because I do know of people who have sat in ceremony with people who were not holding and creating a safe, sacred space. And it created a lot of additional wounding and damage, um, which is the last thing that you're entering into ceremony for. <laughs> I was fortunate enough to be provided with, I guess, an advanced copy uh, of your new book, Animal Power. Mm. Um, my first question is, what called you to write that book? Uh, and then my second question, and I'm going to give you the opportunity to say no to this before I pose it uh, later on is, I went through the exercise of sort of like trying to engage with what animals were coming up for me. Uh, and I was wondering if we could have a conversation about what came up for me um, and if mm. you could offer any feedback if you're open to it. Yeah, I'm definitely open to it. I am just curious, did you do the video guided shamanic journey that I facilitate or how did they come to you? I just uh, started reading the book um, and okay. then um, I was uh, aware uh, as I walked my dog uh, ah. the other night uh, and I had a unique experience. Um, Got it. And then last night uh, while doing some meditation, um, uh, I, mm. can, I can tell you about what came up uh, if, if you want. But before we get into that, uh, let's talk about um, the writing and, and what inspired you to Beautiful. I'm more intrigued than ever to hear which creature presented. Um, uh, yes. Okay. And I was asking because for people that um, I could have sent you my free video guided shamanic journey for people that pre-order, they get that. And I could have sent that to you. So if you still want it um, after our interview, I can. So uh, how I you know, began this journey of co-creating, I really do feel that Animal Power Book was a co-creation between myself and the power animal world. Um, it really is a beautiful and brief story. So as I briefly touched on, when I had my awakening and intervention moment, um, I surrendered, got into total devotion of the instructions and guidance of my guides and the first healers and places I was shown to go for my own healing journey just happened to be other shamans. And um, one of those shamans happened to be my aunt who's based in Santa Fe. And while she was doing some shamanic work with me, um, some soul retrieval and, and you know things of that nature, some of my power animal guides revealed. My core power animal, the animal that's with me at all times since the time I incarnated is the black panther or black jaguar. And then three other facilitator animals, power animals came in, the deer, the bear, and the frog. And so each power animal holds within it different wisdoms, medicinal attributes, teachings, ways of empowering and healing us and helping to support our journey. And they really truly are our allies. So the frog helped me to learn how to take a new, huge, massive leap of faith forward because frogs only leap forward. They do not move back. So it was like, honey, 
We are definitely not going back into that previous 20-year cycle of insanity. We are taking a new leap of faith forward and also healing, getting into those healing emotional waters. The deer, as I said, helped me to heal my heart. The bear held a very stabilizing, strong grounding support medicine that I needed in learning how to truly surrender and let go. It would come to me in meditations and ask for me to sit against its chest and to let go, let go, let go. And then um, the Black Panther was all about reclamation of my spiritual truth, power, and gifts and doing the shadow work. And so those guides came in and then my relationship with the entire power animal realm just continued to grow every single day. And it was just, it's been such an astounding, beautiful journey because my trust in them grew fully and their trust in me grew fully to the point where I would be in front of audiences of thousands of people um, doing live power animal readings for those who wanted to lean in and, and do that and to come up on stage. And I trusted that in front of all these people, the animal who wanted to present to relay a message would show up, not leave me hanging, you know, and, and come through and talk to me and um, hopefully be of service to the person up on stage. And they learned to trust me to be a very true integrity-filled voice for them. So, you know, I think you get the understanding of what was really being built over the past decade. And fast forward to me, knowing I was going to be an author since the time I was a little girl, taking meetings with publishers, agents, couldn't get clear on what the book was supposed to be, finally got the right agents about three years into this examination journey conversing with them about what the book is. I'm like, ah, we finally figured it out. It's a book on surrender. And I had a working title called Soul Surrender, the whole jam, had the proposal going, flew to Bali to write Soul Surrender. And my first morning in Bali, I was sitting in a morning meditation. And when I closed my eyes, thousands and thousands and thousands, as far as I could see, all of these power animals were coming in saying, that is not the book nice try, good idea, not it. And they instructed me and called for me to co-create, co-write a modern day power animals guidebook with them. And so I emailed my agents and I said, you guys know I live wholeheartedly by the calls. I've been called to completely change the book over. I pray you're on board because this is what it needs to be. And obviously they were. Um, and I worked on the book for about four years. I mean, it's many lifetimes in the making, to be honest, but about four years um, communing with them regularly. And uh, here, Animal Power Book, 100 Animals to Energize Your Life and Awaken Your Soul is finally birthed and uh, has popped out into the world. And it's just been a huge blessing to be able to hold it and to feel it. I work with it every day at my altar. I've cried on more than one occasion. It's powerful. And uh, so, yeah, that's how, that's how it came into form. Thank you. Uh, it is a beautifully designed book. I can't say uh, I've read the whole thing because I only got it a couple of days ago, um, but I did read what I could. And, you know, it, it is incredibly fascinating. So, so thank you for writing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now I'm excited. Tell me what happened. <laughs> All right. So there are two events um, that happened recently. Uh, the first one was when I, I guess it was two or three nights ago when I got a copy of it uh, in anticipation of this conversation. And I started reading the introduction and, and you know, there was a, just generally a, a guidance of pay attention to the animals that are making an appearance in your life. And, and lo and behold, I was walking my dog that night and uh, about three dollars down, there was a skunk 
just milling about doing its thing. Um, totally content, totally oblivious, mm-hmm. about two or three feet away from me and just doing its thing. And my dog, you know, uh, God bless Roscoe, but he has no natural dog instincts and totally didn't even pay attention to the fact that there was a skunk within a couple of feet of him. Uh, so that was the first um, animal experience in the last couple of days. Um, and mm-hmm. then the other one, which I think has more emotional resonance for me was Yesterday, I just, um, before bed, decided to meditate and uh, it, it was interesting. So uh, I'll give you a brief description of one of the things that happened during the meditation, um, which was I I saw or experienced, you know, you know Play-Doh and like the kind of compression things that kids get with Play-Dohs and it I was just shapes. using it the other day, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I got, I saw one of those and I saw it close and opened up and there was a word inside it that said colorless. Uh, which was interesting. And then like the next second, I imagined, again, it was kind of like a kid's coloring book and I saw an elephant, you know, very cartoony, you know, not, not, not Mm. playful, but like imagine what you'd expect in a coloring book kind of elephant uh, that that was there. And I couldn't explain um, the, the emotional response I had, just that like it was much more visceral than me staring at that skunk looking at it mm-hmm. while it's did that did it thing did its thing a, a couple feet away mm-hmm. from me so those were the two kind of major experiences uh, otherwise I can mention um, all the squirrels I've seen but I live in Toronto in the fall so the fact that I'm experiencing a lot of squirrels is probably a, an experience shared by the other four million people in this city so probably right, right. not uh, as as relevant to this conversation. Huh. So it's interesting. So I have my book here. So I'm going to do a couple of things. I'm going to tune in to the wisdom that is written in the book, but then I'm also just going to tune in to those animals and see what they have to say. The intriguing thing and just like flipping back and forth. So when I hear of someone having a skunk encounter, and I love skunk medicine so much, it's they're one of my favorite animals. Um, so I was excited to hear that it came in. The first thing that always comes to mind when skunk presents is a teaching around um, having healthier or stronger boundaries. Um, so that's kind of one that that comes in pretty loud, and and also the element of um, doing some work around uh, getting in greater embodiment of self love, self honor, and oftentimes that can equate to learning how to have healthier boundaries. Um, with elephant, though, I think that that one's really intriguing because you said you you had just like an innate emotional response um, for some reason. But when I flipped to elephant, what kind of jumped out was both the skunk and element or elephant have these elements of um, sexual healing and uh, sexual energy and sexual power. They both have those medicinal representations. So. Um, you know, I'm not necessarily asking you in this moment, like, does that resonate and why? But I found that to be very intriguing um, because that is pretty rare that two animals that are so different have that kind of similar thread around, um, yeah, sexual healing, sexual energy. But let me tune in actually right now. I'm going to put the book down. And if it's okay with you, I'm just going to tune into Elephant and see if it'll come forward and reveal something more specific. Okay. All right. I'm just going to rattle just for a second here. So uh, 
I feel like it's going to have a couple of messages, but the first thing that it took me to, um, I, I love, first of all, the energy, the personality, the essence and texture of this elephant. It, um, it's powerful, but it does feel playful. And when it started to present, it presented on this like dusty dirt trail and it took me down to its feet and as it was walking on the trail, it was very clearly showing me like it kicking up the dirt. And its message was something around like the concept of don't be afraid of getting your your feet even dirtier, even messier right now in this um, current process of um, you learning how to gain even greater strength and embodiment of the truth of who you are, of your spiritual gifts, of your path, of your offerings. It's like this elephant in a loving, playful, generous way is sending this message of like, it's time to get even dirtier in in the process. Like go a bit deeper, have that conversation, that is probably wildly uncomfortable that you don't want to have that you've been avoiding. Like it's a time to, to walk through the dust and to walk through the, the, what feels like dirtier or messier components right now. You're guided, but it's urging you to walk through it. And let me see what else it has. One second. Mm, ah, and it took me right to one of the attributes that elephant is most known for, and it's a remover of obstacles. And it's like those two things are going together. It's saying you doing that work and getting a little bit messier right now is going to remove obstacles that have been standing in your way and that have been holding you back for a long time. And it's going to open you up into a whole new way of experiencing yourself, a whole greater level of peace and um, liberation for you personally, professionally, brand-wise, the whole thing. I feel like there's one other sliver. Just one second, please. Yeah, it's this, the the through-line theme for you is that I even feel it as I'm about to say it. It's very strong. You have um, a power, a divine power in you that is not fully actualized and realized yet. You have scratched the surface. You have done some work. I'm not saying you haven't. I'm not discrediting the work that you've put in, but you have a massive um, divine power inside of you. And there's so much more to get to know and so much more that is wanting to open up inside of you. So that's what's coming through. Don't know if any of that resonates, but I'd love to hear either way. It does resonate. And I'm going to, uh, just so you understand how this podcast ends up getting produced tomorrow, I will record some reflections on this conversation. And so what I'm going to do is let it sit. Uh, and mm-hmm. then I'm going to put that into the reflections we record tomorrow. And, and certainly I'm happy to share with that. But suffice to say, it, it definitely strikes a chord. Uh, I'll, I'll leave it at that. It's some of the things I've been grappling with recently. So um, thank, thank you, uh, really. Like that's a, a very genuine and sincere uh, gratitude for doing that for me. It was really cool. And um, interest, not interestingly, it, it doesn't surprise me all that much, but when you started doing the rattle, because <laughs> like there's definitely that part of like my rational mind that's like, 
rattles and drumming and it, yeah, sure, right? But as soon as you started doing the rattle, it actually gave me goosebumps. It like gave me like the this kind of shivers down my spine uh, just listening to the rattle. So that was a very cool experience for me. Thank you. You're so welcome. Thank you for being open to receive and and yeah, your willingness for me to to tune in for you. I I find it, you know, to be honestly be the biggest honor for someone to give me permission to access into what their soul is wanting to hear and to what guides are wanting to to say. It's 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 a big deal. So thank you for letting me do it. My pleasure. Well, Allison, I think that's a really amazing note to end on and almost perfectly on time. So please accept my sincere gratitude for joining us. Uh, please accept my genuine, genuine thanks for sharing everything that you did because a lot of that was very intimate and, um, you know, being open about that, I think can be super powerful for a lot of people to hear. So thank you. Uh, thank you very much for being here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It was beautiful voyage that we took and thanks for holding the space that you do and providing the platform to have these, um, enriching conversations. And if anyone else is feeling that spark or that shiver that tingle or resonance to enter into the power animal world. Um, my book is available anywhere books are sold and they can get it from my website, alisoncharles.com slash animal power. And that's where you can get that free guided shamanic journey. Um, if you want to meet the animal who wants to present to empower your life at this time. So I welcome anyone who wants to come into animal realm with me. <laughs> I invite everybody who's listening to, to check it out. It is definitely worthwhile. I'm not going to lie. I'm a pretty open-minded guy when it comes to spiritual conversations and the woo-woo side of life. But as open-minded as I can be, even I found my bullshit detectors going off a bit at first as I spoke to Allison and she talked about Great Mother Earth and Source and Great Mother Ayahuasca and blessings and divine power, like she had a personal relationship with them. But every time that negative voice in my head came up, there was an equally loud voice telling me that everything we were talking about are just concepts that most people accept and understand, just expressed through a different lexicon. While you or I may call bullshit on there being a, quote, great awakening in our lives, I'm sure all of us have hit rock bottom at some point or had a, quote, profound realization. Whereas Allison speaks of being a shaman as her calling, we all have professional passions and ambitions. Allison calls soul and body helpers. You and I may call it intuition or gut instinct. She talks about journeying. We talk about flow states. She talks about her gift. We talk about competencies. The point being is that underlying it all, we are all talking about the same things, just using different words. Whatever your belief systems, we are all here on the planet experiencing life, trying to make the best of it, learning as we go, and trying to put to use our abilities as best we can. So is Allison. So anytime our negative egos come up and think she's just talking spiritual mumbo jumbo, it is worth stopping for a moment and keeping that all in mind. And here's the other thing. When Allison did my reading, she was pretty much spot on in terms of understanding where I am in life. I'm going through a period of deep introspection, asking questions about some key things, and I'm feeling kind of trapped on some levels, stuck. I have as... Allison rightfully channeled a blockage that I need to work through. Maybe she's using the same tricks that charlatan psychics use, picking up topics that almost anyone will relate to in some vague way. 
or maybe not, but who cares? The fact is she helped me find the impetus to get dirty and go further into asking questions that I really do need to be asking myself. And really, isn't that all that matters? Hi, Ronan. My name's Diana, and I had a question. I wanted to know if you were watching the show Nine Perfect Strangers, um, and if so, what you thought about them microdosing in a group setting to kind of overcome roadblocks in their lives. Thanks. Thank you for that question. I am indeed watching Nine Perfect Strangers. Admittedly, I'm only three episodes in, uh, and my take on it is as follows. One is, uh, and this may change later in the episodes, I don't know, but uh, the thing I don't like about it is the idea that people are participating in something that they don't understand. Uh, I think that is offside. uh, And if people are being medicated unconsciously, that is entirely not cool. And I think defeats a lot of the underlying intent of what psychedelic medicine is about. That being said, uh, I think sharing experiences in a group setting can be a very powerful tool in one's journey. Um, You know, I think for a lot of people, it's the aspect of being seen 100% vulnerable, uh, true to who you are, no secrets, um, no holds barred, is one of the powerful aspects of healing. And that's true about psychedelics and that's true about other forms of uh, psychotherapy or healing or anything along those lines. Uh, And so I think the shared experience in that environment and how people start to become very open with sharing uh, is awesome and and can be perfectly consistent with psychedelic medicine, whether with large doses or or micro doses. Um, But for other people, myself included, I tend to be a little bit shy. I I still prefer to go inward and be alone and and not be subject to people scrutinizing me or feeling judged. And that's just where I am in my journey. So both are perfectly okay. Uh, It depends where you are and what you need. Um, But uh, I think Nine Perfect Strangers is a great way to start the conversation and it is being done in a retreat setting and we see retreat settings popping up all over the place, uh, particularly environments where psychedelics are legal or at least gray market like Costa Rica, Mexico, Peru. Um, certainly some are even opening in Canada using some medicines that are legal and a retreat setting can be a very powerful experience. It's very different um, than going to a clinical setting like we have with Field Trip right now, because one of the things it, it enables is the opportunity to stay in that space uh, for a longer time. Whereas with Field Trip, when you come in, you know, you have an amazing, profound, transformative experience with the support of our excellent team of psychotherapists and, and staff. Um, but it's a lot faster returning to normal life. It fits into normal life a lot easier because you don't have to take a, a week away uh, and go far away. Uh, but it also means that the re-entry into normal life happens sooner. Uh, and so depending on where you are and, and what you need, a retreat setting uh, and doing microdosing or, or macrodosing in a group or individual setting can be an extremely powerful thing uh, and, and is certainly great for a lot of people. And if it doesn't fit your lifestyle right now or where you are, then something more like what we're offering at Field Trip with our ketamine-assisted therapy or psilocybin-assisted therapy in the Netherlands can be the, the right answer for you. But uh, I think it's a, a really great conversation about psychedelics uh, and their utility whether at a retreat or or otherwise. As a quick reminder, you can record a question for us and we'll answer it on the show. 
Go to speakpipe.com slash fieldtripping, or you can send us your questions, comments, or any episode ideas via email to fieldtripping at castmedia.com. That's cast with a K. Also, please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast and sign up for our newsletter at fieldtripping.fm or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to Field Tripping, a podcast that's dedicated to exploring psychedelic experiences and their ability to affect our lives. I'm your host, Ronan Levy. Until next time, stay curious, breathe properly, and remember, every day is a field trip if you let it be one. Field Tripping is created by Ronan Levy, Our producers are Conrad Page and Harley Roman. And associate producers are Sharon Bella, Alex Sherman, Macy Baker, and Tyler Newbold. 